right, so we are in chapter 4 of Joshua tonight. We're going to go through this chapter, and then I want to just kind of uh, preach a very important message that everybody needs to get, that I, as a pastor, somebody who has uh, been with many people uh, on their last days and who's preached many funerals, there's something that I have learned uh, from being in that situation many times I want to share with you tonight. But let's go ahead and start with verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said to them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And so this, um, what we're seeing right here, of course this is after the parting of the Jordan River, one of the great miracles that God did for Israel in their history and it was a very common practice in the Bible that whenever uh, they would often select a man or select a, an individual who would do some kind of work on behalf of a large group of people. And so after they have crossed the Jordan River, uh, you know, Joshua tells them, Eat every tribe, select a man and have him go and grab a large stone and we're going to make a heap of stones. We're going to make a memorial is what they were going to do. And so whenever though... A group selected somebody. We need to get this. Okay, whenever a group selected someone to perform a role, whatever they did, okay, and often good or bad, it was credited to the entire group. Each one, what they, what they, this act of setting up a memorial that they're doing here, this is something they are doing as a nation. We've always got to understand what we're seeing here. This isn't just something that's happening to a generation. This is something that God is doing for an, an entire nation. Something that God was going to refer back to hundreds of years later, even when everybody who was actually there was dead. This was something that God did for Israel. And so they were always going to be held accountable for this because God did this great miracle for them. And if they forget about this miracle, that's their own fault because they were commanded to set up a memorial so they would remember this, so they would remember what God did for them. And they were commanded to make sure that they passed this on to the next generation. And so uh, they did this act where each person in each tribe got a stone. And, you know, this, uh, we still do this same kind of thing today. And it's how things should be done. We've been, we were talking about this on, uh, I think, two weeks ago on Sunday night, uh, but whether in church government or even in our local state and national government, we often select people to do things on behalf of everyone. And as a pastor, you know, I am somebody who often does things on behalf of the church. And so when I'm doing these things, it's not just me doing it. It's the church that's doing it. And I'm just an officer, you know, performing that role. And it's the same thing too, in our government, the things that our leaders are doing, they are doing on behalf of us. And that should scare you just a little bit because, I mean, there's some responsibility that we have. I, and um, I don't think we like to think about that, but we are. It is just a fact. We are accountable. Uh, and the problem that we have today is we have become very disconnected from those who are in leadership uh, in our government because and because of that they've kind of become more like lords over us rather than representatives which is what they're supposed to be that's what our constitution has they are supposed to be representing us they're supposed to be representing uh, the will of the people but you know what I, if we went and started doing a poll today and we started going around and asking people you know who is our senator you know I bet a lot of people wouldn't know or especially on a state level, who our representatives and senators are, we have no idea. And, you know, I'm not going to beat people up too bad for that because it's just so disgusting what's going on in our government across the board. You know, we just really don't want to, you know, you just don't want to look. You know, it's pretty frustrating watching the news 
and just seeing the things that are going on. And it's real easy to feel very hopeless when it comes to a lot of these things. But at the end of the day, if you've decided, I just want to be disconnected, I don't want to know, I don't want to vote, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, I'm not going to beat you up and tell, you know, demand that you have to, you know, pick the lesser of two evils. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, be accountable to God. But at the same, I'm not going to say all the Fox News Baptist talking points. But I will say this. We can disconnect ourselves all that we want, but we will not necessarily be immune from the problems that these people cause. So, you know what? Don't be too hard on the guy who maybe wants to get a little more involved than we do. You know, and... Uh, you know, and I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not very involved myself. Uh, don't quiz me on who all our leaders are in a lot of things. I'm not real sure how I would do on it. I think I do better than most, but uh, probably not real good. But either way, um, you know, this is this is just one of those areas where, you know, what? if people are a little less involved than you, be a little understanding of that. I can see why they're frustrated. If they're a little more involved than you, leave them alone. They don't love the government more than God and all the straw men things people throw at them. You know, it, just just leave people alone. Let them do their thing. All right. If you feel led to go, uh, you know, get involved in these things, you know, I, I hope you succeed, assuming uh, you have conservative values. But, uh, you know, this this message tonight is not about how to fix those problems, but I am just kind of showing you what the problem is right now. And that is the people who are representing us are more like just lords over us. And we're so ignorant today. We've got people that will literally use the verse, honor the king, when we have elected representatives violating the Constitution. And then act like we should just follow them. All I have to say to you is, you know, if that's what you think. I mean, you're nuts. (laughs) If if that's how you're going to interpret that verse and apply it in today's situation. And that's another sermon I'd love to preach, but not tonight. That's not what Joshua 4 is all about. So verse 6 says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So, again, what took place that day, it was not just about that generation. It was not about the individuals who crossed over. It was about what God did for Israel as a nation. And all the future generations were to recognize this event as something that God had done for them. And so God tells them, make a memorial. God says, set up these 12 stones. And I don't know how they set them up exactly. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if they stacked them. I don't know how big it was. It said, take up a stone upon your shoulder. So it couldn't have been that big of a stone if just one guy's going and able to carry it. But either way, these stones were set up in a way where it wasn't a natural thing. And, you know, the hope was that future generations are going to come along and see that pile of stones there and ask their mom and dad, what are these stones all about? And then they were supposed to say, this was a spot where we, where our fathers crossed over. God opened the waters right here. God parted the waters so we could come over here because God wanted to give us this land. God wanted to protect us. God wanted to, God wanted to give us a law and God wanted us to love him and serve him. God wanted to fellowship with us. He wanted to put his tabernacle in the midst of us. God wanted to do all these things for us. And he, and it was a reminder. It would, and that, and think about it. If they would have done this, What a great reminder that is, too, for these future generations in case they decide, you know what, we don't like God's law. But wait a minute. God didn't part a river for us so we could just come over here and do our own thing. You know, if we want to go and do what the other nations do, we should probably go back on the other side of that river where the heathen. Like, remember what Joshua said uh, later in chapter 24, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, you know what, if, if that's what you want to serve, you know, go serve them. Go to the other side of the river. But uh, that those stones were a memorial, and memorials are a good thing. And I do, I believe it's 100% appropriate for a nation to have memorials. But I do believe in our nation, and I think many nations do this, but I, I know in ours, we often cross a line and create idols. Okay? 
I am thankful for a lot of the memorials and things we have to remember things in our history. You know, just recently I got to go to Independence Hall. You know, that was pretty cool going where they signed the Declaration of Independence. And uh, we didn't get to go in that part this time. But uh, we got to go in the part where uh, John Adams was inaugurated and they're telling the story about how exciting it was when the first time they had a peaceful transition of power. They'd never seen anything like that before. They were used to kings and bloodshed any time things changed hands. And it just they told the whole story, you know, after John Adams' inauguration, as they started to walk out and uh, when they opened the doors and it was John Adams kind of leading and he was the new president, they said people were just crying and they just because it like it cemented it in their minds then it confirmed that the constitution is a law of the land it's not about a man anymore george washington while still living literally has stepped aside and we're letting a new guy take over we're used to that kind of thing today you know we're used to that i mean our country threw a hissy fit when some nut jobs you know went at what you know ran on the capitol this time but you know what that kind of thing used to be common, except with way more bloodshed. Way more bloodshed. That was the worst revolution that ever happened. We've all been waiting for the revolution. Man, that one stunk. Uh, let's not even talk about that. But, but anyway, um, you know, it's neat going back and talking about those things and, and reminding us of those things. And it was interesting for me as we went back there and as they talked about that and they were talking about certain things that are just... Um, are expected today in this country that were radical ideas back then. For example, like freedom of the press. They were talking about Benjamin Franklin's brother. I think he did time. Uh, he, he did time for writing an article in a paper against the king. I mean, you know, look at the way we bash our leaders today. And, and you know, I'm thankful we're able to do that. I'm glad it's not like that. But that was in America. Where that kind of thing happened. And so those memorials we have, it reminds us of some of the things that we have today that are precious, that actually make us a little bit thankful for this country. Now they're trying to ruin that too, because also before you go to the Liberty Bell, which is right outside of Independence Hall, they've added this whole big thing for the homos, you know, and about how basically apologizing for how we treated them historically. And it's just like, they have to ruin everything with that. And they do the same thing in D.C., uh, that that's absolutely disgusting. I don't want to get sidetracked on that either, but we do need memorials and the memorials we have today though, in America, they are often idolatrous because, um, you know, for example, I mean, there are graven images. Okay. And I get it, you know, Lincoln Memorial, you know, I saw the Lincoln Memorial recently, you know, the Jefferson Memorial, those places are pretty cool. And it's really, and you know, you could go and say, well, you know what? God said to make memorials in the Bible. Yeah, but he also said not to make graven images. And so if we want to make a memorial, something to remember, you know, things in history, that's fine. But I think we go too far when we do the graven images. And in Washington, D.C., even things that aren't necessarily graven images, what is it that we're all amazed at when we go to places like D.C.? It's the architecture. But the memorials they did in the Bible, they were actually very simple. I mean, it was 12 rocks. There's a big difference between 12 rocks and the Washington Monument, okay? There, there's, there's some big differences there. And when we look at things like the Washington Monument, you know, it doesn't necessarily get us talking about history. You know, we're just kind of in awe of the architecture. And I think we'd be better off if we did things that were a little more simple. You know, if you go to places like Gettysburg, pretty much what you have there is just like an open field, from what I understand. I've never been there. But there's a place like that, and they might have a plaque or something up and, you know, where, with the writing that tells you about things that happened there. I think that's appropriate. I think that's good. I think we should remember those things. And so, um, you know, I don't want to talk a whole lot about that. I preached a message uh, last year on the, the importance of memorials. And uh, I, I believe I used this chapter. You can go back and refer to that. But I, I want to focus on a different kind of memorial later in this message. But verse 8, it says... And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. And he took up the 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood 
and they are there unto this day. Okay. Now, for those of you that think the Bible is a magical book, uh, when we read there unto this day, that doesn't necessarily mean we can find them to this day, uh, but in the day whenever Joshua was written. Okay. So, you know, I don't know if they've ever found that spot. I doubt those stones are still there to this day. Uh, but um, it'd be cool if they were, uh, if they could find them. But um, that's that's an important thing to make note of. So when something of that kind of significance takes place, I do think you should do something to remember it. And it is a great thing to take future generations and take them back and to the spot and talk about what happened there. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, hopefully some of you will do, uh, especially if you were a part of the church was over on Ninth Avenue, you know, years from now, you know, you drive by there. You know, I remember we used to go to church over there and then you, and you start telling stories. I went and drove by there today just to see what was going on, you know, with, with the place. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would constantly, whenever we'd be visiting different towns, take us down memory lane and uh, drive by churches that he used to go to. Um, you know, my dad used to live in Decatur uh, and, you know, Aaron, you guys are from there. But, um, I'm, and I remember the last time we went there, we went to go pick up something. And so we were there. And so you can't go to Decatur without my dad driving you around and, you know, showing you the places that he lived. And we stopped by this church that he, he pastored for a short time. And um, there were people there and we talk, went and talked to him. And then they took us in this one uh, room and they had like a, a wall there that had all the previous pastors of there. And they had this hilarious picture of my dad, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, my dad thought, you know, he was still kind of at that age where he thought he was Elvis a little bit. And um, it, it, you'd have to see the picture and, and know my dad. But I remember we were kind of cracking up when we saw that. And he was real young. Uh, wasn't even married or anything yet. And, you know, and my dad will be the first one to tell you, I don't know why they made me pastor there, but they did. Uh, they hadn't heard all the sermons that you all have about qualification of a bishop and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but either way, you know, Lord bless and used them. Uh, but, you know, that, that's a good thing. You know, if, if I drive through Spring Valley with my family, you know, and I've done it before, it's been a long time, I'll show them the church I used to go to. And uh, it's a church I got baptized. It's uh, some kind of charismatic church now. But, um, you know, I've got great memories of that. It's a memorial. It's something we can remember and talk about. Uh, these are good things for us to do. And so, uh, verse 10 says, And for the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. And it specifically mentions them because they were the ones that had settled on the other side of Jordan. But Moses had commanded them, you cross over Jordan and you help your brothers drive out the Canaanites, and then you can go back. So they are being obedient here, doing exactly what Moses told them to do. So it says, And about 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And this is important too. It was God that exalted Joshua. Joshua did not exalt himself. Joshua was appointed the leader, but Joshua didn't have to walk around beating his chest saying, I am the leader and throwing spears to anybody who questioned him. Okay? God exalted him and everybody was scared of him just like God had done with Moses. I think it was cooler what God did with Moses when Moses' authority was challenged by Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You know what God did? You know what? Moses, he was a meek man. Moses, he didn't beat his chest either. But you know what? God got upset and God said, you know what, fine, I'll show you who's in charge. And then God opened up the ground and swallowed up the other guys and then closed it back up. That is just another awesome story. I wouldn't have messed with Moses after that. I promise you I wouldn't have. And so, uh, and, and God did that for Moses. And you know what, it's going to be God that exalt. it's God that exalts leaders. Great leaders, they don't have to use, you know, crazy manipulative methods like we talked about on Sunday night. They don't have to use intimidation. They don't have to threaten. They don't have to do that kind of thing. 
great leaders are just people who others choose to follow because they have proven themselves. They have shown that the Holy Spirit is with them and that they are doing the work of the Lord and good people are going to want to follow people like that. And you know what? If you know a, a leader has to constantly threaten people and scream about how he's a boss, that's a bad sign. Just like if, as a husband, if you have to constantly remind your wife that, you know what, I'm the head of this house, you know, that means there's some question for some reason. And, you know, maybe it's being questioned because you're just not leading. You know, and that's the case a lot of times. Husbands are just lazy. They don't want to make any decisions. They don't want to do anything. Or maybe you're just a really bad leader. But, uh, you know, good leaders, uh, they... If they get called into question, if they're in the right, God will exalt them. God will show who is right. That's always a very important thing uh, that we see, and it's something we see God do all the time. But verse 15 says, And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore command the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan um, on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal and spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So God wanted them talking about this. And boy, I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't talk about something like that. I mean, just imagine seeing waters part to begin with. But then, you know, when you watch these priests holding the Ark of the Covenant, standing in the midst of that, and then as soon as they get out and are on dry land, you know, the waters start flowing again. I mean, there's no doubt. At that point, there's there's really no doubt. And I'm just so thankful because you get so frustrated at Israel's, you know, lack of faith and lack of belief. But this generation, this generation that crossed the Jordan River, they did good. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes. We'll see some of that. But this generation was a great generation that served the Lord. It's just like, thank you. You know, we had at least we had one generation that did a good job that. Uh, actually showed some faith and you say well there's no way they wouldn't show faith after all that they saw you know what you st they still had faith because guess what there was the generation before them saw the red sea part and yet they still didn't have any faith so these people still had faith everyone's required to have faith and thankfully this we do have one good example one good generation and so now that we've gone through the chapter though Again, a year ago, I, did, I preached that message on the importance of memorials. And so I don't want to cover the same things I did in that message. But I want to cover something I think is very important for our own personal lives and for our family. I think this is something, I know this is something that is lacking big time in families. I, I know this uh, from experience as a pastor who has, um, again, who I have um, preached many funerals. And especially, too, I've seen this. Um, when it comes to preaching funerals of people that I didn't know. And even just not that long ago, uh, I preached a funeral of someone that I didn't know. And whenever I'm going to preach a funeral of someone that I don't know, um, you know, usually, and usually it's because I know somebody in the family and they asked me to do it. But I'll go talking to the family and I like to find out if they were a believer or not. And many times, you know, you do, you go and, you ask the family about and there's just, they really don't know. They don't know hardly anything about it. And a lot of times, too, you'll find out they were religious, that they went to church, you know, and I'm always glad to at least hear they were a part of a church or something like that. But, like, nobody in the family 
knows their salvation testimony. Nobody knows hardly. And it's, it's, it's amazing how little we know about our own family history today. It's kind of sad. Again, not only have we become disconnected from our leaders and everything, we've become very disconnected from our families. And people know very little. And I think it's important that we remember some things and that we make some memorials in our family. Okay? And how you do this, uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to work setting up stones or anything like that. But I want to talk about some memorials I think we need to have as families. And the first thing, I think you need to make a memorial out of where and when you got saved. And turn over to Acts chapter 26. I think, you know, talking about your salvation when you got saved is very important, okay? And, And listen, sometimes we get critical of giving a testimony because you have people who soul win that way. Don't go soul winning that way. Okay? You don't need to tell your story when you go soul winning. Tell Jesus' story when you go soul winning. But in your family, you should tell your story. I think this is a very important thing. And, and I think there's a, an appropriate time to tell your story. You know, There's going to be times when it's relevant. In fact, I think it's a good thing to do in church every once in a while. In fact, we used to do that back in the olden days in our church. More, we probably should do that uh, more often where we just take time and people tell their salvation testimony and share with people in the church when they got saved. This is an important thing to talk about and an important thing to remember. And the Apostle Paul, he read, you know, he, this was something he did. We see in Acts chapter 26 in verse 12, um, it says, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and then uh, them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And we're not going to go read that whole thing. But basically, we see Paul, he's sharing his testimony. And you know what? We should share our testimony with other people we should let other people know about when we got saved and i don't think you necessarily need to build something okay you don't have to necessarily build something but you know what there's nothing wrong with writing it down i think it would be a good thing you know to write down when you got saved where you got saved you know write the date down if you know the date of when you got saved but i believe it is so important that your family knows your testimony and understand, too, you know, if you have young kids, you can tell them about it now. But, you know, a lot of times little kids, they don't remember a lot of those things. And there may come a day in the future where that will be very important to them, too. And, and, and here's another, you know, there, there's so many reasons I could think of, okay? But here's another reason you should do something to, you know, cement the story of your salvation in the minds of your family. And that is because, you know, I know we don't want to plan for these things, but what if you get backslidden? Think, because think about this. What if you get backslidden today? You know, your kids are here, they're young, they're saved, or maybe they're young enough they haven't even been saved yet. But let's say you get backslidden. And 30 years from now, you know, you die, and then your kids get saved. If you weren't living like a Christian during most of their life, and then you die... They're going to wonder. They're not going to know. And that's something that's probably going to bother them. But, you know, the truth is, if you were saved, just because you got backslidden, you didn't lose your salvation, you were saved. You know, that would be a very comforting thing for your kids someday. Even said, even if, if you're backslidden, you know, because in, in case, you know, they end up coming back to God, that would be, you know how valuable that would be for your kids? I've talked to people before. In fact, I remember Hazel, okay, when uh, Hazel started coming to the church. She was coming to the church all the time, but she was never she had never been saved. She made no claims to be saved. Her uh, it was Beulah that told me that she wasn't saved. And and they'd been coming for a long time. And I just kind of assumed she was. I figured we stole her out of another church or something. And so I went over and visited one time and I asked her about it and she was like, I've never been saved. You know? And I'm like, Well then, you know, 
why do you come to the church? You know, she's like, because you asked me. I'm like, you know, my, and so you know, I told her, I was like, well, you know, you, you really need to get saved. You know, and so I went through everything with her and she didn't want to get saved just yet. And so I told her, I was like, well, I'm not going to pressure you. I said, but, you know, I really want to, I really like to see you get saved. And I said, I'm going to come back in you know, a little while. We'll talk about it again. And so probably about a month later, uh, I went, I talked to her again and I asked her, I said, you know, hey, have you thought about it? She's like, I have. I've thought about it. And she said, you know, my mom and dad, as far as I know, they never got saved. And I said, I think they're probably in hell. And I just, I think that's where I deserve to go to. And I told her, I said, you know, you do deserve to go to hell. Everybody deserves to go to hell, but you don't want to, do you? You know, and I, because I told her, I went to the story of the rich man. I said, because here's the thing. I said, if your parents are in hell, they don't want you to go there. And I, and I told her too, I said, what if your parents got saved when they were younger? And I showed how you can never lose your salvation just because they weren't religious. And, uh, you know, you, you know, you don't, you don't know their testimony or anything like that doesn't mean that they, you know, they're not in heaven right now. So either way, if they're in heaven, if they're in hell, they want you to go to heaven. And she, and thank, thankfully, you know, she still didn't get saved then, but it was a few weeks later, she came to me after church and she's like, Pastor, I'm ready to get saved. And, and she ended up getting saved and uh, got baptized. And that was, that was exciting uh, to see that. But you know what? I mean, and, and thankfully, has a happy ending. She still got saved. But you know what? What if she would have had something from her parents that they had written down, you know, that gave their salvation testimony? Except I don't know that they ever were saved or not. But you know what? That would have just encouraged her even more when she's, you know, that this is my parents' legacy. This is their history. You know, because it was like she wanted to be loyal to her family. You know, and said if they were saved, they didn't pass that on in any way. And it could have stopped that. You know, thankfully, the Lord intervened. She got saved anyway. But I'm telling you, that's going to be a very valuable thing. It will be a very comforting thing. If someday you do, you get backslidden. And if they had something that, you know, that you had written down that gave your testimony about when you got saved, or better yet, if they remembered hearing you talk about it, what a wonderful thing that would be. My dad, too, uh, when we were, you know, like I said, anytime we'd go through places he used to live, we'd always go down memory lane. Granite City was another place that he lived in. You could, we could not ever go anywhere near Granite City without visiting Granite City and then going down memory lane and seeing all the places that my dad lived. And I remember one day we went and stopped by the church where he got saved. West 22nd Street Baptist Church. I know, I know, because, you know, my dad was a pastor too, so he gave his testimony all the time. And let me tell you, I know my dad's testimony frontwards and backwards. But not, and, you know, because I heard him talk about it in church all the time. But not only that, when I hear my, when I think about my dad's story, not only can I tell the story myself, but I can also picture it in my head because my dad literally took me to the place where he got saved and he showed me this is where I was sitting in the service that night. This is where I went forward. And he tells the story about how uh, he, he went forward during the altar call, but the pastor didn't notice him when he came up there. And my dad just kind of got embarrassed. Uh, he was nine or 10 years old at the time. And he just kind of went back to his seat. Well, the assistant pastor had noticed it. And so after church, he said to the pastor, and so the pastor came and talked to him and he mentioned how he wanted to get saved and then he showed me the spot, talked about how you know his parents were sitting right there. He, he went through the whole story. I can see it all. I can see it all in my head. And he said, well, "What's the big deal about that?" Well, you know what? One of these days, when I'm at my dad's funeral, that story is going to really mean a lot to me because it's going to be a reminder to me that while we're about to put my dad in the ground, I know I'm going to see him again because I not just because he claims I, but I, I I know all about that. And that's going to be a blessing to me. I remember uh, when I was a child, uh, I was a teenager at the time, and we were sitting uh, outside our house in Troy Grove. I think we made a campfire that evening. We were sitting out there uh, with my, my sisters and my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side. And uh, we just started asking all these family questions. And they started giving all their family history and, uh, and just telling us who everybody was and telling us about our great-grandparents and our great great grandparents, uh, the things they remembered uh, about it. And then, uh, you know, and then we were getting salvation testimonies. They, they were like talking about when they got saved 
And I mean, those are valuable memories for me. And you know what? It meant a lot to me when I went to my grandma and grandpa's funeral. My grandma and grandpa's funeral, my grandpa's funeral especially, it was one of the happiest services you could ever go to. Because my grandpa, he lived a good long life. He was ready to go. And when we went and visited him in the hospital not long before he died, he, he sat there talking just normal and just making his, you know, we're, everybody's making funeral plans right there in front of him. He didn't care. They, they brought up something that was coming up in a few months. And he's like, well, yeah, I won't be able to be there. I'm going to be in heaven. And just, and he's not even acting spiritual. That, I mean, that's just how he was. He was just kind of a matter of fact guy. And uh, he, he knew he was just about done and he was okay with it. And, you know, we went and said goodbye. And it, it, it but it wasn't really goodbye. It was, it was a see you later. And then he, he died and we went to the funeral and, you know, we were sad because we're going to miss him. But, you know, he was getting old. He had a lot of health problems and he was ready to go. Grandma was already there. It was more sad when grandma died because, you know, now grandpa was alone. But I mean, it was, you know, as, as much as I love my grandparents, I am so thankful that he had a solid testimony that his, not, not just his testimony, but his life was a memorial. So when I went to his funeral, I'm able to sit there and be joyful. I'm able to be joyful knowing that his suffering's done. And while I'm going to miss him, this is temporary. I mean, boy, every person should give that to their children and their grandchildren. That hope that only a Christian can have. But boy, if you are, if you're one of these people, you're not sharing these things. And, you, and listen, you might have family members right now that aren't saved. But what if they get saved down the road? I mean, it, it will be such a blessing to them to know and to find out that, you know, my dad or my grandpa was saved. And, you know, I, I only heard the testimonies of my grandparents. I don't know the testimonies of like all my great grandparents, but I like to think that, you know, I come from a long line of saved people. You know, I, I don't know that, but I'd like to think that I do know when it comes my, I do know my grandpa McMurtry was saved. Uh, the one before him, I don't know, but I wish I did know. I wish I, if he was saved, somebody would have wrote it down. And you know what? Even when it comes to my grandpa, thankfully I, I know his testimony verbally because I've heard my dad tell that story. Uh, but these things are all valuable. And you know what? If we want Christianity to be a part of our family and a part of, uh, you know, and, and to be in our ancestry, okay, we all make, we all, the, the farther back your ancestor goes, the bigger of a deal he is in your mind, isn't he? And wouldn't it be something if, you know, future generations had something of yours that they could look at to know about you? And one of the main things they were able to see is this person was a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ. It had your salvation testimony. We would all be very interested if we could find some writing of one of our ancestors going back five or six generations. We would all be interested in whatever it was. And if it had something like that, what an impact that would make. And so I think we need to, I think we need to do things like this. And so just sharing the story, it creates a memorial in their minds. And so we need to make sure we remind ourselves of when we got saved. Turn over to second Peter. Let me show you this right here in second Peter in verse uh, chapter one and verse five, it says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith, virtue and to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance and to temperance, patience and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And so just you sharing your story, it creates a memorial in your mind and it reminds you of where you came from. Because a lot of people, I think they do forget. 
Many people forget. I think that's one of the reasons, too, when we're out soul winning, we often ask people, hey, if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? And then, or, and then they'll say, yeah, yes, or I think so. Or, and then they'll give some answers that aren't necessarily right. But then you start going through the gospel with them, and they're like, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, you know what? I do believe that. I've done that before. And often we're like, you know, well, why'd they give the wrong answers? Well, you know what? You go 20 years, 30 years, never giving your testimony. And you know what? You're probably going to get a little stumped and stumble around and say some wrong things when somebody comes and asks you these questions. It's easy for us because, you know, as a soul winner, you're reminded of these things all the time. I mean, every week when you're out giving the gospel, it's going to make it really hard to forget you were purged from your old sins. But you know what? A lot of people never go soul winning. They never talk about these things. And, and as a, and you know, and there's going to be times too, again, you know, I don't, my testimony is not in my presentation, but sometimes depending on questions and things that are asked, it will come up, you know, it will come up every once in a while. And I do, I think, uh, I think we need these reminders. And so, uh, whatever it takes, you know, whether it's you just writing these things down, whether it's you just verbally telling your kids about it, taking them to the place. I've got a picture somewhere. I don't even know where it is. I remember, uh, but I have a picture that I took uh, of the place where I got saved. Um, it, and I was, I went to, back to that house uh, years later. I used to give guitar lessons to the uh, son of the pastor who was living there. It was, it was a parsonage. And I remember, uh, you know, I'd always, when you go into the house to the right there was the bedroom. Uh, where I got saved, I remember I asked one time if I could go in there and just get a picture. I wanted a picture of the place where I got saved. Why? It's a reminder. Okay? It's not about the place, but it is about the reminder. And it's something I can go back and it's, it's a memorial for me. And it's something I can show my kids when we're going through old pictures. Hey, you know, Dad, what's this random picture of you standing in a room? You know, hey, that's where I got saved. The, and my dad's got a picture. You know, he did. He, when we went back, he took a picture of the place he got saved. These are our memorials. And so, um, you know, make memorials out of where, when you got saved. You know, make memorials out of your family history, especially if they are saved. It says in Exodus 3.13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and they shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, that they shall say it to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. You know what God told Moses to tell them? He said, When you go to talk to them, you tell them, I'm the God of their, an of their ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers. And that's something, too, that it was, it was going to have an impact. Okay, he's talking about the God, because they all, you know, we do. We all revere our fathers if we know who they are. And they knew who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. And so God was that uh, memorial, and he gives them his name as a memorial. God wanted Moses to remind them of where they came from, the God that their father served. And if you do, if you have a good family history, share that. Let your children know about that. Remember these things. It's, it's very important. We need to remember the good, and you know what? We need to remember the bad, too. We need to remember the bad or the good to motivate us to do the same, but then we need to remember the bad to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. In Nehemiah 13, verse 17, it says, Then I contend with the nobles of the Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon the city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. They had just come out of cap They hadn't even been out of captivity that long. They had been in captivity for 70 years because they did not let the land rest for 70 years. Those were Sabbath years where they were supposed to let the land rest. They profaned the Sabbath. And so they had went into captivity. And here they are, this new generation that's come out of captivity. And they're profaning the Sabbath. And Nehemiah's like, don't you remember what your fathers did? 
This is why the previous generation suffered, and yet you're doing the same thing. All you're going to do is bring more wrath upon us. And if you have a bad history, then you know what you do? You remember that so you don't do the same thing. And, you know, and, 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 you know, not because not everybody has that, you know, good heritage. And, but you know what? You can start one. And at this time, you know, during Moses' time, they had a good heritage, even though that generation stunk. And they used that to call these people to action. During Nehemiah's time, they had a really bad heritage, but he used that to motivate them to start over and to do something right. And so if you have a bad heritage, you know what? You can start a good one. And let me tell you something, especially if you're a first generation Christian, you know what? It'd be pretty cool if, you know, years from now, when your family history is looking back, they knew your story about how you came from a rough background, how you came from a lost family or a Catholic family or, or whatever. You know, maybe you're into all kinds of idolatry or, or something like, you know, you know, some crazy religion, and then they knew that story of that first one. That first one who got saved and just became a faithful soul winner. Raised the family in church. Was the only one in all his family that lived that way, and but yet started a whole new generation. And then your children do the same thing. And, you know, years from now, they're still talking about that. I mean, that's what you have the potential to start if one you'll live for the lord but two you got to memorialize these things you got to do something to make sure these things get passed down and i don't know exactly how all you can do that but i'd come up with something i'd come up with something you know today we have cameras we can make video you know just make a video telling your story you know how valuable that will be and, and I've got more points. I'm, I'm going to quit with this. I was going to talk about church memorials and things. We're not going to, we're not even going to go into that. But I'll give you one more story of a memorial uh, that was just, you know, an a unbelievable blessing to my dad. Uh, one, there was an evangelist, Jack Parchman, that was very influential in my dad's life, very influential in my life. Uh, he was very special to us. And I remember uh, when uh, it was like a year or two. I think it was, it was well over a year, maybe two years before the 20th anniversary of uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church. And one of the men in my dad's church, you know, he got this idea of when we had the 20th anniversary, having a video of a bunch of different preachers, just kind of congratulating dad. And so um, he secretly uh, was going to make, you know, started talking to some of these preachers so he could video them, you know, just kind of giving a message for dad because he wanted to surprise them with his video and he ended up um, doing videoing Jack Parchman and Jack Parchman. He kind of just, he kind of tells the story about how he met my dad. And I'm not even going to go into that story, but it was, it was, it was, it was a cool story uh, when, you know, where he just really encouraged my dad as a young preacher uh, when somebody tried to discourage him. And it was just, it always meant a lot to my dad. And I remember, but um, he told that story in there, congratulating him and everything, but he ended up dying, you know, before the 20th anniversary. And he would have been one of the speakers of that meeting for sure if he'd still been alive, but he died uh, before uh, they had that. We had the 20th anniversary. And I remember uh, we had a special night. We're going to watch a video that my dad had put together over the last 20 years. But before we did it, we told my dad, we've got a video uh, we want to show you and there was, there was Brother Parchman on there. And my dad, man, he just lost it. You know, he just, he, he just lost it when he saw that. But man, he, he, just, he sat there and he told that story and just gave that testimony. And it was just, it meant so much to everyone. You know, we don't take the time to do those things these days. And I'm telling you, I have, I have been at so many funerals where the family, they just don't, it's, it's amazing how little they know about their family. It's amazing how little some wives know about their husband and how little some children know about their parents. And if you have something in your life that's very important to you, like the gospel, like Jesus Christ, hey, do you really want to depend on the next generation to give your kids the gospel? 
What if you made some kind of video, some kind of memorial that you just made a tradition? Hey, you make sure everybody says, you know, I've never done anything like this. I probably should do something like that too. You know, something special I make. You know what? I sure hope all of my kids get all of my grandkids saved. But you know what? Maybe I shouldn't just depend on them to get it done. Maybe I should do something about it. Maybe I should make some kind of video like that. Telling my grandkids about the God of their grandfather and of their great-grandfather and of their great-great-grandfather. Tell the stories that I know. Because chances are, you know, my kids aren't going to remember the stories of my grandparents. And I, I believe that kind of thing can have an impact. I think we need to do that kind of thing. I would love, I, I, would, I would love to just have the written testimony of my great-grandfather. That would mean so much to me. And I really think we could have a real impact if we would do more of this. We see him doing that kind of thing in the Bible, but for some reason we just we don't think about that stuff today. And, and, and listen, another reason you need to do that, it will help me out someday if I preach your funeral. You know, because I, I'm not going to remember everybody's testimonies and all that, and I, I don't want to have to go and then... and not, No, I'd like to be able to get up and tell your story when I do your funeral about when you got saved. And that will, it will, it will mean something to a lot of people. And I think we take that for granted. So family memorials, think about those things and do something uh, in your family to help remember these things. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message will have an impact. I pray all of us, Lord, myself included. Oh, Lord, I got convicted even just thinking about this stuff and preparing for this message. Or we, we don't do enough to remember the things that you have done for us and to pass those things on to future generations and so i pray this message will inspire everyone to do this and lord i do uh lord if, if uh, your coming doesn't come for many more years i want every one of my descendants to uh, be saved and so i pray that uh, i'll do my part to make sure that happens and i pray that uh, we'll all take these things serious and in your name we pray amen